as we close out this series, I need you to use your imagination this morning. I need you to imagine that you have decided to rent a boat. Now, I can't tell you why. You all have your reasons you might want to rent a boat. Maybe you want to go fishing. Maybe you just want to get away from everyone. Or maybe you just want to enjoy the gentle sway of the boat. But I should tell you, when you rent this boat, you just, you just, just don't go into any body of water. You don't go out to the Rock River or your local fishing pond. You make your way out to the ocean. The ocean, this big body of water, so expansive that if you go far enough, very, very soon, you will not see land in any direction. And so that's what you do. You get in the boat, you rent the boat, you go out, and before you know it, you don't see land in any direction. And for you, this is incredibly peaceful because you're not worried. You have a full tank of gas. You have a GPS. It's sunny. It's early. You have plenty of time to get back, and so you just enjoy yourself out there. You start fishing. You start reading a book. You start just enjoying the movements of the boat and the ocean. And before you know it, you are fast asleep in a very, very, very deep sleep. In fact, you probably would have kept sleeping, except for all of a sudden, you felt something splash on your chest which kind of slowly woke you up and you thought, I, I must have been holding my beverage when I was sleeping and now I dumped it on myself and so you're kind of annoyed. But all of a sudden, when you become more aware of what's going on, you realize it's not your beverage. You realize that the water actually has crept up over your chest because the boat is slowly sinking into the ocean floor. And with it goes the life jackets. And pretty soon, you are just there treading water looking around, and there's no shoreline in any direction. So you don't even know where to swim or what to do, and so you are hopeless. And so as you sit there treading water, all you know to do is to pray. And it is not a quiet prayer like before bedtime or dinner. You are screaming out to God, God, pay attention to me. God, I'm drowning. God, I'm going to die. And then you do what a lot of us do when we really want God to listen we start trying to manipulate him, right? God, I'm a father, you know? God, God I, I, I'm a husband. God, I, I have a, a lot of important things I have to do. God, if you let me live, that neighbor that I always told you I would talk to about my faith that I haven't, God, I will do that. That family member, I will talk to them. God, if you do what I want, I'll do what you want. And you're just sitting there and you're crying out. And then you say, amen right? Your will be done. Amen. And then all of a sudden, you see a sailboat come into your vision. And as they see you, they adjust the sail so they'll intersect with you. And as they get closer, they yell out, can we help you? And you respond, no, thank you. God is going to save me. And so they go off in a different direction. And you begin to pray again. God, save me. God, save me. And then you hear the noise of an engine and a speedboat comes and pulls up next to you and they shut off their engine so they can hear you and you can hear them and, and they shout out, do you need help? And you respond, no, God will save me. And they take off in the other direction. Not soon afterwards, you hear the, the rotor of a helicopter and it's the Coast Guard and they hover above you and they shout down from the loudspeaker. They say, we are here to save you. 
and you shout back, no thank you, God has this handled. Why do we pray? Why do we pray? One of the primary reasons that we pray is because we hope that God is gonna do something in our lives. We hope that God is gonna give us a little taste of heaven. We want him to remove the pain and sorrow and death and sin and the effects of sin from our life. So we cry out to God, we pray to God that he will bring heaven to earth. So as we close out our sermon series, The Afterlife, where we've been talking a lot about what happens next, right? What happens in the then? I thought it would be appropriate to stop and think about, well, what happens in the now in light of the then? As we have this conversation today, we're gonna go into the gospel of Matthew because we're gonna see a very familiar verse that actually addresses the then and the now. This is how it begins. Pray then in this way. Now, depending on who you are, if I were to ask you, do you know how to pray? You would receive that question very differently. If you are new to church or if you're re-engaging to church or, or when you have gone to church, it's very rarely, if I were to ask you that question, you probably wouldn't take offense to it. Right, you would be happy to hear of how to pray, right? Because you want to learn. But if you've been in church your whole life, you're baptized into the faith, you were confirmed, right? If the doors were open, you were there, this is who you are, right? You are Christian through and through and through. You study your Bible and you pray. If I were to ask you, do you know how to pray? You might be really offended, you might be really offended. Who are you to ask me if I know how to pray? Of course I know how to pray. I've been in church my whole life. But if you were to run into somebody who every time they prayed, every time they prayed, it seemed like pain and sorrow and death and brokenness of this world just fled from them. Like all those things just bent their knee to their prayers. They breathed life into the conversation. If you met somebody like this, no matter how seasoned of a believer you are, no matter how many degrees you have, you would go to that person, maybe privately, but you'd go to that person and say, teach me how to pray. As we enter into this historical moment, this is exactly what's happening. The disciples of Christ have watched him teach and do miracles and they have watched him pray. And when Christ prays, things happen. And so they go to him and they say, Master, can you teach us to pray? And he begins to teach them. This is what he says. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this when it comes to the Lord's Prayer because this is what we're encountering today. But someday this prayer, which we hold very, very dearly, someday this prayer will be obsolete. Someday the Lord's prayer will not be necessary anymore. Now, before you cast me out of the church and uh, throw me out as a heretic, just listen to me, let me make sense of this. The reason I say the Lord's prayer someday will be obsolete because look at what it says. It says, our father, who's where? In heaven, right? And what are we celebrating about the afterlife? 
We're celebrating that God is going to come to us in the new heavens and new earth. Paradise lost will be paradise restored. God will not be separated from us in his domain anymore in heaven, and we're separated from him in in earth. That relationship will be perfect. Heaven and earth will overlap as God comes to us. God will come and live among us. We can have a conversation with him, right? We We don't have to just pray to somebody that we're hoping is listening. We don't have to shout out to get his attention while we're drowning in the ocean. We can have a conversation with God. And this is the beauty of prayer. Because in prayer, we experience one of those rare moments where heaven and earth, well, they overlap just a little bit over on this side of the equation, right? Heaven meets earth because when we talk to God and when we pray to God, he actually listens. He wants to hear what you have to say. He's interested in what you have to say. He wants to have that dialogue on this side of the equation before he can have it on on that side of reality. So if we're praying to God and having this taste of heaven, what should we be praying? Well, Jesus explains it. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What should we hope for as believers? What should we pray for? That God's kingdom comes, right? The end of all things, the full overlap, heaven comes to earth, paradise is restored, God is with us, right? That's our hope. That's our hope. But remember, what are we hoping for in this moment? As I said before, heaven is not primarily about a where, it's primarily about a who. And this is why Jesus, when he taught and he interacted with people, he asked them, not the question of where you want to go, right? Where do you want to go when you die? No, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Because that question had eternal significance. Who do you say that I am? For followers of Christ, our response is, Jesus, you are the king, you are the boss, you are the Messiah, you are my only source of salvation, right? You are my king. And if Jesus is our king, well, then naturally what happens to those who he is their king? Well, they end up in his kingdom. But for everyone else who says, God, you are not my king, or Christ, you are not the king, you are a liar, you are a lunatic, or you are just a story that grandma told that's not true. Well, if they're not a part of his authority, if he isn't their king, well, then they won't be a part of his kingdom. And you want Jesus to be your king because only when Jesus is your king and when he rules that he can drive out pain and sorrow and death because his perfection drives out the imperfect. It drives out the imperfect. In fact, you've already experienced this on on this side of the equation, haven't you? You know from your experience that when Jesus is the boss of your life, when he's the king of your life, when he's in control, as much as control as he could be in this side of the equation, that life gets better, right? The more that Jesus has influence in our nation, the more we have a little taste of heaven. The more Jesus has the power over our lives and the way we do things and we follow in his direction, we have little moments of heaven, But as soon as that's erased, as soon as that's removed, as soon as our nation goes in its own way and far away from Christ, or as soon as we go far away from Christ, well, we begin to experience a very hellish reality. Well, Jesus continues. 
Give us this day our daily bread. Once again, what are we hoping for? We're hoping for our daily bread, which of course makes this verse once again obsolete in the future, unnecessary in the future, because in heaven, we won't have to pray this because God will be there to provide every basic need, every need we could ever want, God will provide. That's in the then. But in the now, we cry out to God, God, give us a little taste of heaven, right? Give us our daily bread, give us our basic needs, provide for us. But as he does that, oftentimes, he provides above and beyond our basic needs, which means as believers, we have a real opportunity, not just to taste of heaven, but to be a part of allowing other people to have a little taste of heaven. You see, in this prayer, maybe we should say it this way. God, give us our, our basic needs. Give us our daily bread. But if you give us more than our daily bread, Lord, give me the heart and the wisdom and the eyes to see people who don't have their daily bread. And when we do this, when we take of what God has given us and we bless other people with it, we actually allow them to have a little taste of heaven, to experience Jesus in a very broken, sinful, and, and difficult world. Well, he continues. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So once again, we pray. What are we hoping for? We're hoping for a reality where we don't have any debt. And this is what heaven is. In heaven, there is no debt. No spiritual debt, no, no financial debt, no relational debt. We'll be in perfect relationship with God and perfect relationship with everyone else who is there. Right, all believers, we will all have a perfect relationship with one another. That's the then. But in the now, we cry out to God. God, help us have a good relationship with you. God, help us have a good relationship with those around us. And built into that prayer is the now issue that as people who have Jesus in our lives, we should strive to be in a right relationship with others. Because when we're good with our spouse, when we're good with our kids, when we're good with our neighbors, right, when we have a, a good relationship with those people around us, we give them a, a little taste of heaven. Well, the prayer continues. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. Now, if you remember last week, we went into the book of Revelation, the apocalypse of John, and he has this, this beautiful painting of what the then will look like. What will heaven look like to us? And as he paints this picture of the new heavens and new earth, he says this weird statement. He says, in the new heaven and new earth, there will be no more sea. Now, he's not talking about water or even specifically salt water. What he's saying in the implication is that in that moment, there'll be no more evil, no more sin, no more brokenness, nothing threatening. Everything will be removed. This is what heaven will be like. There will be no sin, no brokenness, no pain, no sorrow. And because of that, there'll be no temptation in heaven. Which means for the first time, we will stop sinning. For the first time, the bride of Christ will stop cheating on our spouse. We will have no temptation. That's the then. But in the now, we pray, God, protect us from this. Give us wisdom not to go in those places to engage in those behaviors. God, help us not to take that step which gets us closer to the ultimate fall in our lives. So God, 
Lead us away from temptation. Give us that wisdom. Give us that strength. If you have to do some divine intervention, do that for us. But we also serve people in this way too. We have friends and we have, we have family members and we have people in our church family and we struggle, right? We all confess that we are sinful. That's not a secret. We all have our own issues. But as fellow family members, as people we engage with in our community, we have the opportunity to, to lean in and give them a taste of heaven and say, look, I know you're sinful. I'm sinful. How can I help? How can I make sure that you don't go to that place anymore? How can I make sure that, that you don't go to that website anymore? How, how can I make sure that you don't talk to that person anymore? And by doing this, we remove that temptation from their life and they experience a taste of heaven. They experience Jesus. That's why he closes with this. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. You see, their ultimate hope is forgiveness, which is embodied in the person of Jesus, who is in heaven, the place of perfection. And what did he do? He came down to live among us in this broken and sinful place. And he dealt with all the pain and sorrow that we deal with in this life. And he grew up, he began to teach, he did miracles, and he went to the cross. Why? To die for our sins, that we can be in right relationship with God, so that we can be forgiven. And then he rose from the dead, showing us that we have hope in the next life. And he ascended to heaven to sit on his throne. And as followers, we live in that pattern of Jesus Christ. We get down into the muck, the real people next to us. We care about those near us and, and those people that God puts directly in our path. And we give them a little taste of heaven. So I want to take you back to the ocean. But this time, you're not the person praying and treading water and hoping for God to do something divine and, and pick you out and dump you onto the shore or snap his finger and you appear in your home. No, this time you are captaining the sailboat. You are driving the speedboat. You are flying in the helicopter as a member of the Coast Guard. And so as you take your sailboat over and you see this person drowning, you stop and you see them and, and what do you do? Well, you go to the corner of your sailboat and you pray. Dear Lord, I see this person drowning. They look like they're very desperate. They're screaming out. They're very upset. They're very distraught. Please send somebody to take care of them. And then you set sail and you go back home. Or you pull up in your speedboat and you look at your gas gauge and you're thinking, you know what, I, I'm almost out of fuel. I have probably just enough, if not a little bit more, to get home. And you see this person drowning. And with that mindset, you stop and you say, okay, God, please send somebody else who has more gas in their tank to take care of this person. And then you start up your engine and you go back home. Or you're a member of the Coast Guard and you're the spotter. And so you're looking at the ocean, looking at the ocean, and you see this person out there treading water, desperately trying to stay alive. And you say, God, thank you so much for the eyes to see this person. Thank you so much that I was able to spot them now, Lord, please send somebody else, now that we know where they are, to take care of them and fish them out of the water so they don't die. 
You see, as convoluted as that first story sounds, where God sends people after people after people and we keep turning them down because we're waiting for something supernatural to happen instead of God to use everyday ordinary people. This one actually is far more sad, but it's far more realistic. Because how often in our lives do we see people in need, people that we could bring a little taste of heaven instead of doing something We just walk to the sideline and we pray, God, please provide somebody. And you can just hear him screaming from heaven. I did provide somebody. That somebody is you. And that's why I was so happy. I did not plan this, but this sermon series landed on Mother's Day. Because mothers are the perfect example of people who do not stand on the sidelines. If you were a mother in the room, I'm sure this has happened to you. You told your little boy, don't run on the cement, you're gonna fall, and he falls, and all of a sudden there's gravel and there's cement, and his old knee is is bloody, and he's sitting there and he's crying. What do you do as a mother? Do you go into the kitchen and you say a, a short prayer and just leave it at that? No, you run outside, don't you? You open up the garage door, you run outside, you pick him up, you cuddle him, you take him inside, you say, look, I'm about to put something on your skin that you're not gonna like, but it's for your good. And you do that and you wrap him up. And then you hold him until he stops crying. Right, you don't just pray about it, you do something about it. And when your 16 year old daughter comes home from school and she's heartbroken because her first boyfriend broke up with her for her best friend, and she's in her room and she's playing the music, really loud and she's so upset and you knock on the door and you make your way in, don't you? What you don't do is just go to the kitchen and pray and say, God, please provide somebody to talk to her. Hopefully one of her friends calls her on the phone and offers words of advice. No, you go in, you hear the story as long as it takes through the sobs and you comfort her and you help her because that's what you do as a mother. And mothers, when your family has need, whatever that need is, don't you make the sacrifice to help them and serve them? I mean, of course, you might pray through all this, but you actually act and you do something. This is what Christ is calling us to do as believers. You see, we look forward to the then. And someday everything will be perfect. And we are excited about that. But in the meantime, we have the opportunity, just like your mother just like the people in your life, to bring a taste of heaven to earth. And when we do this, and when we expose people to a little taste of heaven, don't you think they're gonna want more? Don't you think they're gonna want the full experience of being with Jesus, not just one of Christ's followers, but being with the real thing, Jesus, forever? You see, when we bring the taste of heaven to people's life and they cling to the cross like we cling to the cross, well, then they will experience everything they want in the afterlife.